Last week, we looked at the love story between Jacob and Rachel. How it was love at first sight. And how Jacob worked for Rachel for seven years. Only to be fooled into marrying her sister. And having to work another seven years for Rachel. And then... Jacob continues to work for Laban for six years. So for 20 years, Jacob works for Laban, for his two wives, and for the flock. And after this 20-year period, he leaves to head back home. But when he gets home, he'll have to face his brother, Esau, who wants to kill him for stealing the blessing and the birthright. So join me in Genesis chapter 32. We'll start with verses 3 through 8 and then read more later. Genesis chapter 32, starting at verse 3. This is the common English Bible. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau toward the land of Sire, the open country of Edom. He gave them these orders. Say this to my master Esau. This is the message of your servant, Jacob. I've lived as an immigrant with Laban, where I've stayed till now. I own cattle, donkeys, flocks, men servants, and women servants. I'm sending this message to my master now to ask that he be kind. The messengers returned to Jacob and said, we went out to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you with 400 men. Jacob was terrified and felt trapped. So he divided the people with him and the flocks, cattle, and camels into two groups. He thought, if Esau meets the first camp and attacks it, at least one camp will be left to escape. Where is the Jacob that we met a few weeks ago? You know, the young Jacob, the one who was selfish and arrogant and called all the shots. He's changed. And what we're going to see in our story today is that Jacob is trying to make amends. If you look back over these verses, you'll see that Jacob calls Esau master twice. If we go back and look at when Jacob stole the blessing from Esau, what that really means is that at that moment, Jacob became the master. So what Jacob is really doing here is he's really trying to give the blessing back to Esau. But when Jacob hears that Esau has 400 men with him, what is that? 400 men. That's his army. And Jacob's terrified. There's no way that Jacob can stand up to this kind of fight. 
And if his brother Esau is still angry, if Esau still wants to kill him, and if Esau does fight, it's going to be a massacre. It's going to be a slaughter. Jacob is scared. He's terrified. Make no doubt about it. This is the scariest moment that he's faced in his life. And he feels helpless. And he has absolutely no idea what to do. So he uses the only trick play that he has left. He separates his family into two groups. Leah and her children and half of the servants and half of the animals. And they'll go in one direction. And Rachel and her children and the other half of the property... And, they're good, and they'll go in a slightly different direction. Because Jacob's thinking, if I divide my family, then at least if those 400 men attack half of my family, the other half will have a chance. They'll have a chance to escape. Now, I've told you as we've looked at this life of Jacob that I believe this is true. And that means that if this Bible is true, that these are real people. There's real emotions. And we want to honor the realness of the story. So take a second and feel the weight of this decision. Jacob is having to plan for which half of his family is going to die. It's scary. This is a very dark place that Jacob's in. So what does he do? He prays. And let's look at that prayer. This is verses 9 through 12. Jacob said, Lord God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I'll make sure things go well for you. I don't deserve how loyal and truthful you've been to your servant. I went away across the Jordan with just my staff, but now I've become two camps. Save me. Save me from my brother Esau. I'm afraid he will come and kill me, the mothers and their children. God, you were the one who told me. I will make sure things go well for you. And I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea. So many, you won't be able to count them. As Jacob is facing this terrifying situation, as he's in this very dark place, what does he do? He prays and he plans. He prays and he acts. Now notice this, because here Jacob's a model for us. He doesn't just pray and wait for God to do everything. And he doesn't ignore God and try to solve everything by himself. He prays 
and he plans. He prays and he acts. And that's what we do. We pray and we plan. We pray and we act. So let's spend a minute looking at this prayer because this is actually a model prayer that we can shape our prayers off of. Anytime that we have a prayer in our Bible, it's an interesting thing to look at. So let's examine this prayer. Jacob, verse 9, he begins by naming God. Lord God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac. So in our prayers, we should begin by naming God. Our Father, gracious King, Heavenly Father. Jacob names God as the God of covenant. And not only does Jacob call God God, he calls him Lord. Now look in your Bible. Do you know what it means when Lord is in all capital letters? It means that in that verse, the special name of God is used. Yahweh. Yahweh. That's the name that God revealed Himself to be when He said, I am that I am. And then Jacob remembers the promises of God. And I love how the New Living Translation puts it here. O oh Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. When we pray, we can remember the promises of God. Lord, you promised to be with us always, even to the very end of the age. Lord, you told us that where two or three are gathered, you are here with us. And then, Jacob confesses his unworthiness. He says, I don't deserve how loyal and truthful you've been to your servant. So in our prayers, we should confess that we've sinned, that we've messed up, that we've broken God's law, that we've done wrong, that we've hurt others. And because of that, we don't deserve what we're praying for. And look at what Jacob does next. He doesn't stay down here. He recalls what God has done for him in the past. He says, I went away with just my staff, but now I've become two camps. He remembers what God has already done for him and God's faithfulness and kindness and blessings to him. And then, he makes the request. Save me. That is Hosanna in Hebrew. Save me from my brother Esau. And then Jacob closes the prayer again by remembering the promise of God. You are the one who told me I will make you prosper and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea. This is a powerful prayer. And I think I've preached to you about prayer 
more than any other subject. But here's what I really want you to see as we look at this prayer. And as we look at where this comes in the life of Jacob. Even in the midst of our uncertainty. Even when we're afraid. When we're engulfed by fear. When we're in pain. We pray and we plan. We pray and we act. So this means that if the doctor says you have cancer, you pray. You pray for healing and you plan. You take your medicines and you go and see the best doctors that you can. You pray and you plan. You pray and you act. If you lose your job, you pray and you plan. You pray for God to provide. And you plan. You update your resume. You look for jobs online. You print out your resume. You knock on doors. You network. You pray and you plan. You pray and you act. And after this prayer, that's when Jacob has this idea. He has this idea where he says, I'm going to show my brother how sorry I am. I'm not going to say, brother, I'm sorry. I'm going to show him. I'm going to send gifts. And there's wave after wave of gifts. But this isn't a simple bribe. What he's really doing here is he's returning the birthright. He's giving the birthright back. Alright, so if you're not a farmer or up to date on how the currency would have been from then to now. This is over $100,000 worth of animals. 550 animals. This is Jacob showing Esau I'm sorry. I stole the birthright from you. But I'm giving it back to you. I stole the blessing, but I'm giving it back to And this idea comes after he prayed. After separating his family into two groups and sending them across the Javit River, after sending the animals to Esau, Jacob stays behind. He camps there by himself. All by himself. And this is the reason why we're doing this series because of this moment right here. This leads us to the climax. This is the most interesting scene in Jacob's life. This is his defining moment. And to be honest with you, it's strange and it's confusing. So let's read it together. Verses 24 to 30. But Jacob stayed apart by himself. And a man wrestled with him until dawn broke. When the man saw that he couldn't defeat Jacob, he grabbed Jacob's thigh and tore a muscle in Jacob's thigh as he wrestled with him. The man said, let me go because the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. He said to Jacob, What's your name? And he said, Jacob. 
And then he said, your name won't be Jacob any longer, but Israel. Because you struggled with God and with men and won. You persevered. Another translation says that. Jacob also asked and said, tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask for my name? And as he, and as he blessed Jacob there, Jacob named place Peniel. Because I've seen God face to face in my life. Let's Let's be honest. This is cool. It's fascinating. It's weird and it's strange. But it's awesome. So Jacob is 60 years old now. He's all by himself, camped out on the banks of the Jabbok River. And a man comes to wrestle with him. And they wrestle all night long. So who is this man? Jacob believes the man is God. God comes and wrestles with Jacob all night long. On this dark night, the night of his greatest terror, the darkest moment of his life, the moment that he is the most scared that he has ever been, God comes and God wrestles with Jacob. But what's really going on here? Now, I believe this is true. I believe this literally happened. But the church fathers, they always read the Bible as something more than literal. That yes, we believe what the Bible literally says. But to interpret it, you have to understand there's another layer to it. That there's something that speaks to us as people. There's a lesson for us in these stories. So what can we learn in this story about us and about God? On the surface, the truth is that we wrestle with God. We wrestle with God when we want to do something and God wants us to do something else. And you know, sometimes we know what God doesn't want us to do, but we do it anyway. Sometimes we know what God does want us to do, and we don't do it. Sometimes we persevere. Sometimes we lose. We wrestle with God when we're disappointed. When we're confused, when we face tragedy, and when we pray and God says nothing back, we wrestle with God when we question Him. Jacob could wake up tomorrow and his family, half of his family, his entire family, could be slaughtered. He could die tomorrow. And he's wrestling with God all night long. And he refuses to quit. Sometimes 
Faith is refusing to let go. Sometimes faith is not letting go. Now, I love this story because it shows us that God doesn't just walk with us. He doesn't just walk with us through the dark moments. He doesn't just carry us. He struggles alongside us. And isn't that what we see in the life of Jesus? That God was born into this world and experienced everything that we feel. And Jesus wrestled. He wrestled with those who were lost. He wrestled with the righteous and religious people, showing them their hypocrisy. And on the cross, Jesus was wrestling with sin and evil and hate. And then came the moment where it looked like the wrestling match was over. One. Two. But on the third day came our victory as Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. But here, he wrestles with James. You know I'm a teacher and I like to ask you questions, so I want to ask you one here. Why doesn't God win? As you think of that, I'll tell you a short little story. Some days when Rachel picks the girls up, and whenever I walk in, Ella will, will run up to me and hug my leg and just squeeze it real tight, and she'll say, Daddy, I got you. And I'll bend down and tickle her and pick her up and throw her over my shoulder, and I'll say, I've got you. really had who in this wrestling match? Did Jacob have God? Or did God have Jacob? God had him. Is God really wrestling with him or is there something else that's really going on here? I think God is teaching him something. Something important. Something vital. Something that changes everything. That God is saying, I'll never let you go. And at daybreak, there's the question. What's your name? God is making Jacob say it. Do you remember? What does Jacob's name mean? Deceiver. Trickster. God is saying, that was your name, but not anymore. From this day forward, your name will be Israel, which means he wrestles with God. And he refuses to let go. That's my hope for you. That no matter how dark the night is, no matter how difficult your life gets, that you refuse to let go of God. That even when it gets difficult, and it will, and you face tragedy, and you can't figure out God, and you can't figure out why things are happening, that you don't give up. 
God touches Jacob's hip. And from this moment on, Jacob is going to walk with a limp. What's this about? God wants Jacob to remember this night. And this limp is a constant reminder that he fought God. And he refused to give up. It was to remind him that even here, even at the darkest point of his life, Everything turned out okay. So as you look back over your life, and you see the scars you have on your body, you know the scars you have in your heart and in your emotions. Those painful moments that you've experienced, they're evidence. They're proof. That you survived. That you persevered. That you won. So our final scene for today is when Jacob meets Esau. Now it's morning and Jacob crosses the Jabbok River. He sees Esau and his 400 men approaching. And now Jacob goes to lead his family. He's wrestled with God and he knows that God has the victory. So he walks in front of all of his family and he goes forward and he bows down. You could say that he's presenting his head, his neck to Esau and he's saying, here, if you want to kill me, here I am. Let's look at Genesis 33 verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him, threw his arms around his neck, kissed him, and they wept. This isn't death. This is life. This is new life. Esau comes and wraps his arms around Jacob and he embraces him. This is homecoming. This is grace. This is mercy. This is undeserved love. This is reconciliation. It's been 20 years since these two brothers have spoken. Which is to remind us that it's never too late to make things right. And also, before we end, let's say that the story also teaches us how to apologize. You do it extravagantly. You go over and beyond just saying I'm sorry. And you show that you're sorry. Oh, and let's not forget this detail about the 400 men. Did these 400 men if they weren't an army, they weren't coming to fight, what were they doing? What's their purpose? They were the moving crew. They were coming to help move Jacob back home. Remember when we started this series that first week, we looked at how Jacob and Esau were both models of what not to do? 
Now are both examples of what we should do. Esau gives mercy and forgiveness. And because of this grace, Jacob can see what God is truly like. He's merciful, he's slow to anger, he's loving, he's gracious, and he's kind. And let's read verse 10 because this is just beautiful. Jacob says to Esau, seeing your face is like seeing God's face. Since you've accepted me so warmly. So to wrap things up, here's what I hope you take away from this message. When trouble comes, and it will, we pray and we plan. We pray and we act. Jacob persevered. He wrestled with God when things were at their most difficult, when things were their darkest, but he refused to give up. And Esau teaches us about mercy toward others and about God's mercy towards us. May God bless you. And may you remember that He loves you and He never gives up on you.